0: Okay. How many of you guys have ever confused Zig Ziglar and Bob Marley or Ziggy Zig or Z-Pop? I don't know. There's so many different ones out there, but this is the one I want you to follow. This is the one I want you to quote, not just Zig, but his son, Tom Ziglar. He is the one who is currently operating as the CEO of the Zig Ziglar Corporation. He is an author himself. One of my favorite books that I utilize and have lived by is Choose to Win, How to Transform Your Life, One Simple Choice at a Time. He also has a new book that came out in 2021. You're gonna hear all about it in this specific episode. And it's this idea of alignment connected to massive movement. So once you get aligned, what do you do next? You take action. His company, his father, since before he was little and understood even what his dad did. He was not just selling cassette tapes, as he talks about so candidly. He realized that they are in the business of transformation. And still today, they are having and seeing massive transformations in huge arenas and even intimately on unique mastermind events. If you're raising your hand saying, yes, I want to do the same thing, then you need to tune in to his wisdom and ultimately know that he is led by the spirit because of all the things he does, of all the things him and his father represent and say and speak and teach, they're doing it from the heart of the father. And that is how they built this solid foundation because they have a cornerstone. And ultimately, though he's a CEO, he's really just like me, the chief evangelizing officer of this company, because the CEO, the exec, is our one in heaven, our Father, who art in heaven. Hallelujah, I name. All right, y'all tune in to Tom Ziegler. Listen up. For such a time as this, we must grow our faith and business muscles. The self-help industry is trying to own spirituality and well-being the entrepreneurial space is becoming flooded with business pursuits focused on success instead of sustenance. But the only one who can make us fully whole, fully free, and fully alive is Jesus. So I'm ecstatic you walked into this hypothetical gym today. I'm your trainer, Tamara Andress, also coined an entrepreneurial rabbi, teaching the pursuits of God which unveil our purpose and ultimately unleash our desired provision. This FIT acronym is for Founders, Innovators, and Trailblazers. Here, Marketplace Ministers conversate and educate to build others from the inside out while also sharing their testimonies of endurance. So while it's not a fitness podcast, I do surely care about your mental, physical, emotional, relational, financial, and spiritual health. You're going to hear all about it. If you're passionate about your becoming journey, leading others to greatness, and living a life of abundance and joy, then you're well on your way to being fit in faith. Let's hydrate. All right, all right. You guys are live and in action with the one and only Tom Ziegler. And I am so, so excited to just have this chance to chat with someone who I have been mentored by, unknowingly maybe, um, on my coffee counter, top moments, in intimacy meal of my office, even through my prayer life, Tom, you've been such a, a liaison in the way that I've got to show up. And I'm grateful for the way that you live out the legacy, not just of your father, but of our father in heaven, Tom. Thank you for being here.
1: Uh, What a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: So you have done a lot in your life, and one thing that interests, I'm sure, a lot of people most is like, what was it like to grow up with Zig Ziglar as your dad? And while I want to talk about that ever so briefly, just because I know people are curious, I really want to focus on these two tools that you have generated yourself through the learning and the legacy of that ministry.
1: You bet! I tell you what, growing up uh, with dad, as good as he was on stage, he was even better off stage. Wow. So just, just amazingly blessed. Uh, everything that he did, uh, it was so intentional. Uh, he really, really strived to have a personal relationship mm-hmm. with each of us, myself and my sisters. I'm the youngest by by almost ten years, so it was almost like I grew up as an only solo. Child. Yeah, I know. Uh but Dad and I love to play golf and and uh he always took that extra moment mm. and i re- I remember distinctly he would come to me every now and then and and uh, he would apologize for something i can't even remember what it was now, <laughs> but it would it was like nothing right, but he was just wow. so wanting to have that relationship as good as it could be. Uh, and so now when I speak and travel, it's like I run into friends and family wherever I go because they know dad. Right. And so So we've got that, we've got that in common. So it's really, really what was
0: his childhood similar with his own dad or mom?
1: Uh, I would say not at all. Uh, he, he, his dad died when he was five years old. Wow. Uh, he was the 10th of 12 kids. He ended up working, starting work when he was six years old. Holy. Selling, pe- selling peanuts on the corner. So in Yazoo City, Mississippi.
0: <laughs> I don't uh, know
1: where that is. It's about uh, 45 minutes outside of Jackson, Mississippi. Okay. Yep. Yeah. It's middle of nowhere. This, is during, this is the middle of the Great Depression. Depression. So yeah. Here he is in the poorest, one of the poorest states and one of the poorest hmm. areas. Uh, you know, raised by a single mom, right? A widow. And of course this family loved him, but everybody had stuff to do, right? You know, nobody, if if he wanted to eat, he had to work. So yeah. So that's what, that's what he did. So very loving family, but not at all the same circumstance.
0: Yeah. And I wonder like along the way in, at what point was there this like Care, I mean, character development when you're working at six is clearly present. <laughs> you're yeah. always learning. We're all always learning, you know, matter the scenarios that we're placed in. Um, but at what point did he shift into being who we now know as Zig Ziglar? And you obviously weren't a part of that picture at that point yet.
1: No. So it started, uh, he goes to the Navy, gets out, marries mom, gets his his first job selling door-to-door and for two and a half years he doesn't sell anything uh, well, he does. he sells his car, he sells his furniture, <laughs> right Amen. I mean just that just yeah. that and he goes he goes to an event a company event, and his hero is there p c Merrill, who he looked up to, who was kind of like a figurehead and p c Merrill came to Dad, put his hands on his shoulders and said, "zig." And all my life, I've never seen such a waste. Mm. But, so the but cancels that whole thing out. Yep, yep. And says, but if you believed in yourself and went to work on a regular schedule, you could be a champion. And so that was the day he decided to figure out what does it mean to believe in himself. And that was the day he made the commitment. to. He was knocking on doors at 9 a.m. every day after that because that's the work he was in. Right. And and then that year, he finished number two out of 7,000 people. And the previous two and a half years, he was never in the top 5,000.
0: Wow.
1: So that was like the turning point. But what he decided to do was really study and learn what it means to believe in yourself and self-image and all those different things. And that was the beginning. And then, of course, when you have that level of success, everybody wants you to come and speak and train yeah. and teach their people. And so that's how it grew.
0: So wild. So, at what point did you start taking interest in what he was actually doing rather than him just being dad?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I really didn't understand everything that he did. Um, and, and so, but I, I do a little bit. I went to college and i was gonna my goal was to be a professional golfer um cool. so when i got out when I got out of college, I went to work at the company dad's company to to pay for my golf habit <laughs> and I was working in the warehouse and and uh then I moved into sales and then I got to go and travel with him a little bit and I was one of those guys selling the product at the back of the table, but yeah, well, sure. <laughs> The, back then, it was books and cassette tapes and VHS. Yeah, yeah. And we were at an event. Uh, it was an Amway event. There was about yep. 30,000 30, people huge. there. Huge. And this is the day I figured out what we did. Uh, Dad was the surprise guest. So they had this huge basketball arena, seats on the floor, the whole nine yards. And at, at dinner, they emptied the place at 5 o'clock. So everybody had to leave. They had yeah. two hours to, to eat. And then we set up in the back of the wall of the arena um, at five after everybody had left. And then we had to put tablecloths over all the product because dad was a surprise speaker. Well, when they open the doors at seven, the crowd comes rushing in and the first guy looks over and he sees the product table and he comes straight to me and he goes, is Zig Ziglar going to be here? And one of the books had been uncovered. And so he saw dad's picture. And so I went like that and and said, don't say anything. And I said, yeah, he's going to be here, but don't tell anybody. It's a secret surprise. And he said, well, is he going to autograph? I said, yeah, he's going to autograph. And he said, well, where is that going to be? And I pointed over to another table and he says, is that the line? And I said, yeah. He says, well, I'm going to go stand in line. And I go, well, at 7 o'clock, he's scheduled to start speaking at midnight, and it's Amway, so it'll be at least an hour late. Wow. So why don't you go sit down, and then at 11.30, come get in the line that nobody knows exists. And he goes, no, I'll just stand in line now. And so he goes and gets in line, and the line that nobody knows exists... <laughs> And for an hour and a half, i watch him. And then I finally I go over and I go, OK, what's your story? And his story was he'd come from Central America uh, to find a better life. He moved in with his brother in Chicago. And after about six weeks, he said to his brother, if I'm going to if I'm going to make my dream come true in America, I have to learn English. How do I learn English? And he said, my brother gave me this book and he held up C at the top. And he said, translate this from English to Spanish and then Spanish back to English using your dictionary. And you'll learn English and it will change your life.
0: And then this guy
1: this guy starts crying right there in line. And he says, I was an alcoholic. I was about to get divorced. This saved my marriage. I'm sober. I've got, I'm living the dream, you know, I'm building this business. I work full time over here doing this. And that's when I really realized the business that we were in. So Mm -hmm. I was, you know, like 25, 26 when, when I really, when it really sunk in. Yeah. We're not, we're not in the book and tape business. We're in the life changing business.
0: Wow. Do they still have events that are that big? Is there anything that runs that's like that?
1: You know, I get to speak for different groups of Amway, yeah, um, and they're not like they were as far yeah. as fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand. Uh, the events that I go to have been a couple of thousand, but I do know that they have you know ten or fifteen thousand. Some bigger ones, yeah, yeah. I'm just and curious. most of them, and it's interesting because the group that I work with is Hispanic, so they actually translate me. So oh, that's wow. Actually, that's actually the biggest group in North America for Amway is the Hispanic group. Interesting.
0: So that's incredible.
1: Really pr- amazing.
0: Yeah, that's really neat. That's like a whole other layer of interest for me specifically because I'm married to a Mexican. and so we me do- too. Oh, you are. No way.
1: <laughs> yeah. How when cool. I, when, I, when I speak – I tell people that I'm prejudiced. I prefer I prefer Mexicans. Uh,
0: Yes, for real. I really do. Like (laughs) honestly, just Spanish speaking in general. But we always go to Spanish. I literally have Frida. I don't know if you can see it. Frida. Oh yeah. (laughs) Tattooed on my arm because it's my children are Mexican, obviously half, and so I just I I share a kindred spirit. But I want to like translate to Spanish. I want to teach Spanish speaking cultures. Like we do a lot of missions in spaces like that already. But there's So much um, hope and there's so much opportunity in those places. So that's so neat that that was a part of and paralleled to your story and how you are now and your bride. That's so cool. Yeah. random overlap. So I think from that moment, I mean, there's so much that we could go into and questions that I would love to ask and get to know. I think ultimately understanding that like you now are this person who's not just selling tapes and doing sales in the back of the room, but you have this intrigue for, okay, there's more here. There's a transformation opportunity. What led you down the path of like really being mentored by your dad or actually being a recipient of the education that he was teaching?
1: Yeah. So after I figured out, Hey, this is where I want to be, you know, then I started moving up and, and I love sales. Sales is kind of natural, kind of raised on that, you know, and, uh, and then of course sales that takes you out into the field. You start yeah. meeting the companies and um, then you start seeing the transformation and you start seeing the before and after. And of course we're getting letters every day from people whose lives are changed. So that's where I really, um, Kind of found my love for it, um, and and then as as I moved up through the organization, my job was really to put Dad on stage and yeah. to you know create that team. Uh, it wasn't until only about fifteen years ago when I thought, you know, maybe I should speak or do do some other things. So yeah. that was that was never my desire. Wow, I
0: mean, interesting.
1: That, it was never something that I wanted to go out and do. Uh, but those opportunities just kept coming up. Yeah. Now it's, I can remember Dad saying, "You know, I sure am, he would tell me, I sure am glad you run the company. All I have to do is is write books and make speeches." And now, and now, now I'm like, you. Now it's like, well, all I want to do is write books and make <laughs> speeches
0: which is so much fun. I'm in that space already. And yet it's interesting that this, I don't know if it's intended to boost your ego or not, but it may, it may not regardless. I know you're in a place of humility is I actually learned about you. Like I, I saw Zig Ziglar quotes everywhere, right? Growing up, but I never inquired about who he was or what he did. I was kind of in like the hustle hard, like entrepreneurial American dream space of my life in my twenties. And it was until I came into my faith where I was actually presented some of your book, well, the one book specifically, and I I, I found out who you were first and really <laughs> dove deep into who you were first, and um, it paralleled so much of my life story when it comes to alignment and knowing that physically, financially, relationally, spiritually, like there's all of these places, spirituality for us being at the top of that, um, and then my relationship with my husband and my home thereafter because my kiddos are my priority versus what for so long I thought – Uh, And what I believe we're so often trained up to believe that what we do is who we are rather than who we are becomes what we get to do. And your Choose to Win book really blessed my life. So I'm so grateful for that. And I'm ready for you to speak and write more too.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's very cool.
0: It's really neat. So I want to know, because another way that we got integrated was through a mutual friend who got to go on an intimate experience with you. So you've been in spaces and arenas of 30,000, and then you also do these incredible intimate opportunities. Tell us like, where was that transition? Did your dad do those and you stepped into that? Or was that something that just really interests you?
1: You know, uh, dad was pretty much just the big speaking arenas, uh, especially after he got out of the training side of it, you know, because training is when you spend three or more hours with the group and yeah. it's back and forth and speaking or a keynote is is usually, well, it used to be up to three hours, you know, now TEDx, TED has kind of redefined it as like 17 minutes. Yeah, yeah, is- yeah,
0: that's all you get. <laughs>
1: Which is ridiculous. It is. Uh, as far as, you know, getting transformation. Impact. yeah, agreed. Right? Um, and so I've always leaned more. I love working with coaches. Um, so kind of my goal is to equip and support speakers, trainers, and coaches. Yeah. Uh, and my newest book that came out about it a little over a year ago, is all about equipping leaders, right? Yeah. Especially leaders, leaders in this change and this disruption that we're going through. Yeah. And so I like, uh, having a more in-depth conversation and just asking question after question to see where it takes us. Uh, and so that's more of my heart. In fact, I call it, um, it's, it's more of a, even my keynotes, I'm shifting my keynotes now using AI and different things to like posit a, a, a thought for 30 minutes or 45 mm. minutes and then get the group. Like one of the last Amway events that I did, there was a thousand people in the room. And so I spoke for about 40 minutes and then I had them break into groups of six. And then each group had to come up with the question they wanted to ask. And then wow. they sent them all in. And then so that meant we had like 150 questions. Wow. We, we took that down to four or five. You know, there's a lot of overlap. Right, right. And and, and then that's where I spent the, the next 45 minutes was answering those questions. And there's a lot of wisdom in the room already. Mm-hmm. Um, and people just don't know it's there. And so when... You can feel the room lean in, right? So when the, when you start answering the questions that's on the hearts of the room of yeah. the people there, especially if you've planted the seeds of let's think about this differently. Yeah. That's what I that's what I love doing.
0: That's uh, that awesome. small
1: that small intimate event, that's like a uh, like a high end I'd call like a mastermind or right. top leaders who are really um for for me the I like to work with people who are focused on legacy. Yeah. Uh, They're already, you know, from the world's perspective, they might already be considered very successful. uh, But they want to be intentional about the legacy they leave or what they want to do next. And so... That's another thing that I love doing.
0: That's incredible. And I think that is, like you're saying with the the shortened spaces, it's like the more speakers, the better the event. And that's not always the case. Like Sometimes it's the least amount of speakers that get to really drive home what it is that their breath of knowledge is curated around and that activity element. I, I know as an event creator myself, I'm always talking to people, I'm like, I love storytelling. I love that people have access to your book or listening to your podcast or any of those things to get to know you, but this is not about you. Even though we've created a stage for you to come stand on, this is really for them. And so what is the activation element? What is the thing that they're going to leave transformed by and then be able to go home and actually do something with it because a lot of the experiences that I see and have witnessed and gone to myself, it's very like motivational and it can be really intimate even if there is um, a spirituality element to it and there's this transformation and exchange that happens, but I find Monday rolls around or Tuesday rolls around or maybe sometimes it lasts a little longer and it's a week and people feel like they're back in that state of isolation, they're back in that state of overwhelm, they're back in that state of analysis paralysis, imposter syndrome, all the things, the limiting beliefs that can keep us from our destiny. And I feel like that's really what I love to hone in on. And so you allowing people to not only have connection, which is also something that doesn't happen often, you're always just like, look at the stage, and you're not even talking to the person in the airplane seat next to you, right? With our earbuds in. And we're so just like, we're so siloed into ourselves and self-help rather than looking to other people. And truly through leadership, what is servant leadership? It's about understanding the, the room at large. How do you see, and and perhaps it's in the second book I haven't read, which is the 10 Leadership Virtues for Disruptive Times. Clearly, we need it. Um, and understanding how do we shift that from even Zoom rooms that are now, you know, all a rage?
1: Yeah, so the, the simple thing is this, that when the pandemic hit, the world really did change. Yeah. Um, people went home. And whether it was locked down or they decided it was too much to juggle, so they quit, you know, in the great resignation or whatever. And so many people lost family and friends or got sick and and their job went away. And so now they're isolated. You mentioned that. Um, And then they started asking that really deep question, which is, does my does my life matter? Am I living for a purpose? You know, it's like that that whole thing. And so then they started relocating to, you know, a part of the country they wanted to be near the mountains or the ocean, or um, even more common back to their family, right? Back home where it is. I think I read where there was 9 million jobs that started on Etsy Uh, in the first year. And so, you know, we, I mean, think about this, this is a huge shift. So we've got, um, and of course, most of those are by women. Yeah. And and then I think about okay, if you just look at numbers, people making between let's just say thirty five and seventy five thousand. Yep. So now now they're at home. They're not sure if they're going back to the office. Their kids are running around, and they say, "Wait a second, that's not the only way I can live." There's all these options, mm-hmm. and so now they start a side. Uh, business and they might be making fifteen hundred a month, maybe two thousand, but they've got total flexibility. Their car and transportation needs, their daycare needs, their wardrobe needs, yeah. their freedom—it's like a net gain. And so, how many of them said, "You know what? Enough of that. This is my priority. My family's my priority. My relationships with my my spouse is my priority." living out here for you know 75 percent of what it costs to live closer to the city all of these things kind of came together yeah and so the way you lead uh people like that is alignment it's it's you've got to have a vision that you're that your business has a problem that it solves a difference it makes and you've got to build a relationship with that individual who's on your team to find out what motivates them, right? Because if you can help them get what they want, you can get what you want, right? That's kind of a Ziggler. Absolutely. Quote. <laughs> and so now, uh, AI is coming, and AI is going to make the pandemic look like nothing as far as change goes. Right, I mean, right. it's, it, it's really going to take it. And I'm super excited about it, but the challenge is, is a lot of people are looking at it with fear. Yeah. And they don't know what's going to happen, but I can tell you that there's two things you got to focus on with AI. One is how can AI as a tool help you solve more problems for the people you serve? Yeah. You got to you got to figure that out. And then you got to do what AI can't, which is build those relationships and develop yourself.
0: That's good.
1: So, AI is going to give us more time to work on relationships, which is, you know, I think a, a camera relationship, that's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's better than a phone. It's yeah. not as good as being face-to-face. That's <laughs> true. Right. right? <laughs> we'll but, do that next. <laughs> but we have more time to do yeah. that now if, yeah. if we know how to leverage uh, AI. And if you don't know how to leverage AI, then you're in trouble because somebody will figure it out. Yeah. And they'll be able to do what you do just a lot better.
0: It's so, so true. We've been teaching a lot around ChatGPT, and you mentioned the coaching and like leadership space, and that's really where I've been for the last. Six years. And I now, of course, am seeing this huge spike in coaching, the coaching arena. And there's two parts to that. One with ChatGBT specifically, and there's video AI, there's vocal AI, there's so many different t- types of AI. So don't let your, yourself stop at just understanding what ChatGBT is. Um, but as a publisher, I initially had that element of fear of being like, holy cow, like, There's going to be people, I think when ChatGPT came out within two weeks, there was 500 new titles that released on Amazon that had not been scripted or curated as of two weeks before. So people can write books out of this space. But similar to the authenticity of us getting on a call, us being in person, us having this kindred connection is you cannot, uh, uh, no device will ever be able to fully replace the authenticity of the heartfelt relational and spiritual connection that can happen when you're doing something out of your own well of wisdom rather than the well of wisdom that's been curated or generated from you. That's why Google didn't replace going to school. Right. It, it, and it won't. As much as I went to YouTube University for a lot of things, it, it still doesn't replace me learning and failing and learning and failing and, and just keep getting back up when it comes to entrepreneurship. So I want to ask from the perspective of many of the coaches that are on the rise even still the question of, well, I don't have a certification. The question of, well, what legitimizes me to be able to do this? And then on the antithesis side of that is like people coming and getting their their scales removed from people or the, the wolf in sheep's clothing kind of scenario of everyone's a coach, so everyone must be trustworthy because they put that to their name. How do you help like... People get out of that trap of, of not just comparison, but also the ability to be able to learn and then effectively distribute information and teach effectively.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that, and of course we have a lot of coaches that we support, um, but there's five keys to building a successful coaching practice. The first one is you got to be the right person. And it doesn't mean that you're an influencer, or you sold your business for millions, or you landed your plane on the Hudson. That's not at all what the right person is, right? That's good. And it usually boils down to two things. Uh, the first thing is you have a heart or a motive to serve other people. Mm-hmm. Like your greatest joy in life is is helping someone else be, do, and have more than they thought possible. That's mm-hmm. what. That's what rocks your uh, world, uh, and then. The second thing is you have enough experience that you've overcome an obstacle or challenge, right? You had to fight through something and it could be something beyond your control, a physical illness, an accident, maybe a broken home when you were a kid, mm-hmm. uh, or it could be a choice that you made that you're like, well, that wasn't so good. <laughs> so,
0: Truth. <laughs> I can raise my hand to that one.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, but you take responsibility to own it, right? And so, because you've been through it, you know there's a way out of it. Mm -hmm. And so, you put those two things together. That's the, that's the first bit. The second is you got to have the right program. And what do I mean by that? Whatever you're going to coach around, it needs to be the truth. Um, And because you, this is, these are people's lives that you're, you're dealing with. So you've got to bring things to the table that are based on truth. And, uh, you know, and I'm talking about what Andy Andrews calls big T truth, not little T. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right?
0: Totally. So, totally. My community knows yeah. that all too well.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, of course, uh, that's what we've been doing for, for decades, over five decades is, yeah. is, you know our our stuff works quite frankly because dad was was amazing at paraphrasing the bible you yeah. know it's just putting timeless wisdom in a timely way i mean that's that's oh, kind of what so we good. And then then the third key is you got to have the right process and coaching's a skill and it's like any other skill you got to learn it and covey said that we should listen to understand rather than to respond which means that when we're coaching someone, coaches who come in with the right heart, they want to make sure that, that they respond correctly. And so that gets in the way of them hearing that person's heart. It's good. And so what we do is we teach a really simple process so that they can hear to understand. And of course, in coaching, it's about the questions you ask and, and you know, reflecting it back uh and so we teach a process then the the fourth piece is you got to have the right support um it's so hard to be lone wolf today i mean if if you if you have a coach's heart you want to do this you you need you owe it to yourself to get around people who have the same values and virtues and want the same goals and have been there and done that to learn it uh, our community really uh supports each other and then the last thing is you got to have the right business systems so you know you got to know how to market it you got to know how to do group coaching or one on one coaching and that, you know how are you going to roll this out all these different things that's to have a successful coaching practice you could be a great coach without all of those things you just probably won't reach as many people uh, right because it and it takes or it might take a lot longer because Word of mouth referrals are by far the best way, but it, it takes time right to do that, right? So So that's good. that's and if you're a coach or let's say you're thinking about being a coach, how long have you been thinking that? And if it's been more than like six months and you haven't done anything, because I talked to coaches or people, yeah, I've been thinking it how long? Like eight years. Yes. Well,
0: yeah, what does that tell you? <laughs> So, yeah
1: so what do coaches do we get we get people to as, as a coach what i do is i try to find out what somebody's dream is or who they want to become and then i get them to say that's what i want and then i say okay you want it let's go get it how are yeah. we going to do
0: that activate right?
1: that's right so totally so first step in being a coach is stepping into it right. and then i have a i have a saying that says uh you Your calling is not meant to fit who you are today, Mm. but who God created you to become. So a lot of people are like, well, I don't know how to do it yet. You're not supposed to know how to do it yet. You've got to step into it and learn it as you go.
0: Yeah. Brendan Burchard always says like, you only have to be one step ahead of the people in the community in which you train up, right? Which always gives people said, they're like, oh, I never thought about that. And I think we formulate this idea that you have to be so far ahead and then you're like, come on, come on, come on, right? You're like and an echo and everyone's like looking into the chamber like, well, which way do I go? How did she get there? What step did you take? But like when you're hiking and the person's in front of you, you're following the steps of the rocks that they're stepping on because they didn't fall. So you're not going to fall, right? But if they're not there, you're going to slip. You're going to step on the wrong thing. Then they got, they're like, oh, you should have gone around there to the right. Well nobody told me. <laughs> I didn't know. And <laughs> simultaneous right. to that I really do believe that like everyone's ultimate blueprint connected to being guided by the spirit, not guided by Tamara, not guided by Tom is is that it's going to look different. There's going to be a different outcome, there's going to be a different learning, there's going to be a different seasonal structure. Like there's a lot that We can't possibly ask, hope, or imagine, but you can, right? And so that's the encouragement of like the motivating side of what we get to do is that it's it's going to look different. And yet you still have to take that next step. You said something in your book that I really loved, and it's about choices because every day we're making choices. And it says the reality is we make our choices, but we don't get to determine the consequences of our choices. Once the choice is made, the consequences are set into motion. And based on this conversation, a lot of people's consequences are are that they're eight years in and they're still just thinking about it. And so they're living their life half full, not fully operating in their purpose and just in this what if I decided to take this leap of faith. All right, quick interruption, but actually it's not really an interruption. It's an invitation. It's an invitation for you to come deeper, not just be a podcast listener that we really never get to interact with, but be a part of the family, be a part of the foundation of what the founder collective is heart premised on and that's Ephesians 2:19 that we are found in him that we are a family and operating as one on the foundation of Christ with him as our chief CEO, our chief cornerstone. And what does that look like? How can you come in further? Well, we have a weekly Founder Collective call. That's a Zoom call. We'd love for you to be a part of it. It's open conversation, similar to how we have this podcast talking about business practices and truth principles and how we're actually living a life on purpose and in the presence of God consistently. Additionally, we're inviting you to our annual conference. This is be our third annual conference. You can go to foundercon.com. Again, that's thefoundercon.com. And you'll get to hear people like Jay worship and teach and share from his testimony. Anthony, Pastor Anthony, the bearded wonder. <laughs> He's going to come to you with his fiery flaming shoes and his voice and the belly. The fire that's within his belly comes out in such a dynamic way when it's on stage. Myself, my team, and all the incredible people who are part of this family, it's not just us. And we want you to be in on the us because we want to make way for your message, for your movement to be known and to be equipped. And to also be resourced. We love sharing resources, which is what we do in that weekly call. So you're invited. You're invited. Come one, come all to all the things. If you need more information, I'm sure wherever you're listening to this or seeing this, you can get it in the link. So look, go a little deeper, go a little further into what God is calling you into. This is a summoning. This is a call. This is a roundup for you to also be fully founded in Him as a founder in the Founder Collective. For you in your life and experience inside of not just the business, but personally, have there been those moments where you've either like felt led astray, you've walked and made choices that you wish that you hadn't? I mean, obviously we all make choices we wish we hadn't, but were there any like notable moments where you're like, man, I got that one wrong and this is going to be one of the biggest learned lessons, not only for my children, but for the people that you're going to coach moving forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, gosh, a, a big one was when I was 30, and I wanted to start. The, I talk about it in the book, Choose to Win, you know, starting that company. And that was a $2 million education, so.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good.
1: Yeah, because that's how much we lost because of that decision. How yeah. was it? I wasn't in on the decision alone. Uh, yeah. My dad was fully behind it, but but it was my idea, and I could have stopped it at any point, right? Um, and and so hopefully we've made our money back on that investment. <laughs> I'm sure system. You have. <laughs> but we all, but we all do it. Uh, yeah. And it and it's funny because when you look back at a decision like that, very seldom do you go, "Well, there's nothing I could have done to avoid it," right? You, yeah. And that's that's wisdom, uh, you know, which is interesting, because when we look at I'm just backtracking a little bit, when we look at people as humans, when we're young, we have fluid intelligence, fluid intelligence is like athletic ability, It kind of peaks in our 20s, and then starts going down. This is why the great uh, inventors, like whether it's a tech company founder or physicist or a Nobel Prize winner. They're all in their twenties, and it's yeah. because of the way it's the way the brain works. Right? We could juggle a thousand things, we can see stuff, but then it starts going, starts decreasing in our in our early thirties. Yeah, but but it gets replaced with crystallized intelligence, mm. and that's our accumulation of knowledge and experience, or what we call wisdom, and that goes up for as long as we live. And so, what's interesting to me is that with artificial intelligence, if you're north of 40, you should be real excited because you've got crystallized intelligence that young people don't have, but AI can do everything that they were doing as far as gathering data. So
0: That's good.
1: And so as coaches, one of the things that we we do as coaches is we look at all these situations and we use that wisdom to, uh, help somebody through right questions. And then I would say this, and this is to me, this is the hallmark of a great leader or a great coach. Humility is the taproot of wisdom. And so if you're not sure who to vote for or which coach to pick, yeah, I'm going to challenge you, uh, pick the wise one. Mm. And if you can't really tell wisdom, because it's hard to tell sometimes, then ask yourself, who's the humble one? Mm. Good. And if they're hu- if they're humble, they're they're got a much better chance of being wise. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean they are. It just means that the odds go way up.
0: That's so that's good. A-
1: that's who I want on my side is a yeah. humble white person, right?
0: Well, and that's everything that I think about that when it comes to like politically, I think like medically, I want that. Financially, I want that person. Like that is a character tw- quality, both of those um that are across the board. It's not just from a coaching perspective. I want the person who's speaking to me about my health to be the in the exact same space. I have a funny story for you, Tom, about wisdom. This past weekend, I was down in Florida marrying a couple – who got unexpectedly engaged at a conference that I had, I hosted last year. And, uh, I had just woken up and I leaned into the mirror. I was waiting for my coffee to brew and I saw this like crinkly, what I perceive is a gray hair, my first gray hair. And I'm like, oh, no, what is happening? Is this a gray hair? So even though my mom told me a thousand times, never pluck a gray hair when you find one, I plucked it because I had to get my eyes on it. The root was brown, so I'm not really sure if it was just a fried blonde or what happened. But in my mind's eye, it was my first gray hair. I go, I get my coffee, I sit down, I open up my Bible, and I'm like looking at the word and I'm reading Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, Proverb. And the proverb picked for that specific day was gray hair is a sign of wisdom and a crown of glory. And I (laughs) die laughing. I'm like, God, you are so good. Because less than 24 hours before, I was having a conversation with this 21-year-old who is stepping into the coaching industry and Her biggest imposter syndrome and limiting belief is that she's too young. And I have faced that over and over and over again since starting into this coaching side of my business. I was 30 at the time when I started. And even in the entrepreneurial endeavors that I did before that, I felt like I was always too young. And wisdom doesn't know an age. And gray hair doesn't either, clearly. I'm not going to give that away. But it was that moment where I'm like laughing with the Lord and their reassurance of like, authority and power that is God-given, spirit-driven success, kingdom-driven success doesn't come in the time frame that the world gives it. And often the world is doing that based on a place of age, but maturation and age are also different. And I think that that's like, it was just one of those moments that I, I wanted to share because it's too funny. It literally happened two days ago. So the fact that you were talking about that, I'm like, of course, we're t- I get to share out loud to the world that I got my first gray hair. Thanks, Tom. <laughs>
1: There you go. There
0: you go. <laughs> uh, but it's so true. And yet in the age, in the, in the growing of that and the step-by-step, of course, you see things that the younger generation has never seen. And so we're navigating, especially through things like COVID, and your book is a part of that. We're navigating things that other generations, especially that are 20s and up, that are younger, they, they've not sensed in the same way that we have from a familial perspective, from a financial perspective, you know? So it's really interesting. I love as we like round this conversation out, I'd love for you to share where is the vision besides you speaking and and writing, which clearly is going to happen more often, hopefully in the near future. Where does the Ziegler Foundation, where do you guys project that you guys are going to be in the next five to 10 years?
1: Yeah. So personally, um, at the end of 2021, my birthday is february 1st and so at the end of the year i'm always thinking oh, i'm about to be a year older
0: yeah right?
1: yeah yep. it's, it's coming up and and so i asked myself a question and that question was okay so i'm um, i was 57 i'm 58 now mm-hmm. so i was 57 then and and i and i said um my legacy is already like if I go home today, my legacy is it's baked, right? Yeah. There. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so all you can do is from whatever point of life you're, you're in, you can say, well, what's the intentional legacy I want to leave from this step, this stage forward? Okay. And my, uh, kind of my heart's desire and, and what I'm focused on is the next generation of leaders. And, what I mean by that, it's not an age thing. It is leaders who understand that the old way of leadership doesn't work. And I have a, I call it the top-down command and control, do it because I said so, right? That's- we For call sure, the
0: t- <laughs> for sure.
1: We call that the T-Rex leader. They got sharp teeth because they lead with fear. They fight. <laughs>
0: that's good. And they
1: got short arms because they like to control everything, right?
0: Uh, that's awesome.
1: And so in the book, 10 leadership virtues, the name I give for this leader is the coach leader. And so what we're doing is we're teaching leaders how to coach their people. And it's, and it's like, it's just rocket ship right now for us and what we're doing. And so we'll take a leader and they'll go through our coach leadership program. And then we coach them to coach them how to coach their team members. And so it's not turning a, you know, somebody says, I want to be a coach. No, it's it's teaching somebody who's in a leadership role how to use coaching principles to pull out and draw out the more capable person uh, inside of each of their team members to help them get alignment between their personal goals and the corporate goals and mission, and then to support them. And so it's around this idea of mindset, virtue, and the intentional coaching conversation that we're doing. And that is, that's going. I love that. So that's, that's part of what, uh, you know, the future of Ziggler is. The other is, uh, I set a goal a few years ago to have a thousand, uh, Ziggler coaches. And these coaches are, are certified and licensed. They're building their own business. Yeah. So we're about halfway there. uh, That's amazing. So those are the two things that yeah. that we're really doing. Uh, but the but the ten leadership virtues, when that came out, it's like the number one challenge facing business today is the mental health and well being of their yeah, people. For sure, and that requires somebody to be grow- if you want to have somebody who's solid in their health and, and life, they need to be growing towards a purpose while experiencing high quality of life. And that's what a coach does, is a coach yeah. helps you identify what your purpose is, what your why is, and then you start to grow towards it, right? You start to develop yourself so you can move into it. And then your life has to be balanced between right. the mental, the spiritual, the physical, the family. So that's that's what we're going into big companies and doing and showing them because when they say that mental health and well-being is our big challenge, then that means we get to talk about,
0: Yeah. Come on.
1: Right. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's it. Now we, we talk about it where they ask us. Right.
0: Right. Right.
1: right. Well, and And this is the the beautiful
0: thing about your all's entire ministry. And, and this has been a variable for people who understand marketplace ministry or want to infuse their faith in their business is like, some people are just like, I, like me, I'm like, hey, I, I, I talk about Jesus and people know that it's Jesus in in the midst of everything that we share. Some people, and this is what you all have had, the, the bedrock of your growth has been that it's the foundation and he's surely in the midst of all of it, but it's not the language in which you initiate. And yet it's the value, it's the principle, it's the practice, it's the integrity of all of those places. And that's so incredible, especially understanding that these leaders are now being able Able to infiltrate the same things. And when they then hear about faith, when they then hear about Jesus, it, it's like, oh, I already know all of this, right? It's like an easy light bulb moment for people rather than, well, that's not how that ever worked. Nothing about him sounds like it would meet me. Right. And it's like, no, like that actually sounds a lot like this leader. And so that's what true discipleship is, is becoming more like Christ is becoming like the leader that he is. And really principles that you guys are teaching, which is really, really cool.
1: Yeah, we are, we're so blessed. And, and, You know we've got an open door wherever we go um and it's because you know dad said you know let's let's make people want what we have let's not let's not say let's not condemn what they say let's just make them want what we have and today today we're in such a lost world um you know i say this we gotta uh we've got to have the highest standard Mm. and the deepest grace Mm.
0: That's good.
1: And so this the story of hmm. the lady caught in adultery that the, mm-hmm. that the they were going to stone, and they yeah. said, they said, Rabbi, the law says we should stone her. What do we? What do you say? And he wrote something, and Jesus wrote something in the sand, and he said, He who's without sin, cast the first stone, and everybody laughed. Yeah. And he looked at her and he said, "No one condemns you, and neither do I." Mm-hmm. So that was the deepest grace. And the, look at the sequence: so the, grace first, right? yeah. the grace comes first, right? The grace comes first, and then he says, "Now go and sin no more." So there was no uh, there was no lowering of the standard, right? Yeah. The standard was still there. Yeah, and that's and that's what we got to do today: mm-hmm. is we got to go show the grace. And then people will seek out the standard.
0: Gosh, that's Good, Tom. That's so good. And I want to just make an ode to all of the people who are listening from a faith and business lens is that it's not necessarily faith and entrepreneurship because of the breadth of opportunity from a coaching and leadership perspective as an entrepreneur, as a manager, as a leader inside of an organization. And so there is importance for people who are inside of businesses to also take root to the methodologies that you guys are doing. And I love that you guys are putting a lot of emphasis in that arena because that really has more capability of touching the mat, the masses. If you think of huge corporations versus the one-to-one coaching scenario, like go and make Disciples of Nations, that's doing that, right?
1: That's our goal. That's what we're, really that's what we're cool.
0: Doing. Well, I'm excited to get more integrated into all of the different things that you all offer as a community and as a movement. And so grateful that we Cross paths. I just think it's so cool how the Lord does that, and I'm so expectant for continued friendship. And if there's any way that our community can serve or integrate or come here, you speak or buy your next book uh, or buy your last book. You guys, if you don't have, choose to win or ten leadership virtues for disruptive times. You need to get your hands on it. I am a huge Audible person, but there was too much in this one that I had to highlight that I I had to buy it too. So I did both and for you, Tom. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today and the grace. It's been amazing.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Blessings, y'all. Thanks for tuning in to the Fit and Faith Podcast. Be sure to tag Tom Ziegler in all the places. Hey, y'all. It's me again. Before you go, let's solidify the flame that was ignited within you today by sharing the spark with your own community. Whether it's mentally, physically, emotionally, relationally, or spiritually, I would love for you to take the step right now by declaring your takeaway. Snap a pic of the episode and share it on your stories or posts. And you can tag me and the guests and we will surely feature you on our Instas. Hey, you may even unlock a new accountability buddy in me or them. We're totally in this together and we appreciate the extra step taken.